0: So, Anne and I are here today on a bright sunny afternoon at the Haskell House, a hidden gem recommendation of our last guest, Talib Abdullahi. This home and land was provided by Charles Clark, a freed slave, um, who established the community to reunite family members and slaves that had just been freed from servitude. And the home is incredible. It's a Cumberbatch home here on the property. What we didn't know about this community was that the community of Clarksville was started by freed slaves. That shouldn't be shocking to us, but we can't believe that we're just discovering this now, which is why I understand why Talib thought that this was just a beautiful place to visit.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, I, this is on Waterston Street, and it's down from a restaurant that I've been to frequently. I've driven on this road I don't know, countless times, and I did not know this house was here. So standing here, we're standing in the back of the house. We're looking at this beautiful community garden that's thriving. I'm so mm-hmm. grateful to know about mm-hmm. this. I also want to say that um, I'm looking at this garden, Carrie, and there are some beautiful herbs. I see basil. I see thyme. And Rennel, do you, rosemary. Do you know what that would pair nicely with? I don't know. Maybe a nice gouda or... A triple cream? Perhaps, or a caña de oveja, I don't know. (laughs) But I think we'll find out more with our next guest, who we're going to be really excited to interview, Kendall Antonelli of Antonelli Cheese Shop.
0: Welcome to Under the Moon Tower, a podcast where we delve into Austin's unique people and places. Beyond what you might find on a city's top 10 list. Thank you all for listening to Under the Moon Tower. Today, we have an incredible force of a woman with us. You may have seen her on a recent Capital One commercial. She's a powerful keynote speaker and MC, an entrepreneur, as president of Antonelli's Cheese Shop and a philanthropist fighting for causes she's passionate about, including women's rights, immigration rights, and mental health. But the secret weapon for this individual is her vulnerability. She's quick to put the kibosh on feeling like you have to do it all, as well as on myopic labels. Women are multidimensional, and we don't have to be all things to all people. I've worked alongside this woman in the nonprofit sector, sampled her business's amazing curated cheeses, and seen her in action hosting charitable causes. Her drive and authenticity are undeniable. It's my pleasure to welcome Kendall Antonelli to Under the Moon Tower today. Yay! Thanks for being here. Yay! Damn,
2: Carrie! that was a good intro,
1: and you wrote that yourself. I <laughs> want to meet that woman, if that's me. That's- <laughs> thanks so much for being here, Kendall. I, oh, thanks, Dan. Um, it's really nice to meet you, and I feel compelled to tell you that I took your soul cheese quiz. And How'd I go? I'm... Um, Apparently, I'm meant to be with Kana de Kanye de Oveja. Kanye de You're yes. kind of sheepy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so good. And I actually went to your shop to try it because I was like, well, now, now we have to meet. And it was amazing. I got Did our algorithms um, work? Okay. Your <laughs> algorithms were right on. I was so impressed. So to kick things off, I want to ask you if you could share a quick 411 on your background as a Texan and an Austinite and what you're currently up to.
2: Sure. I... I I am a born and raised Texan. Um, I was born in Houston, Texas. And when my parents got divorced and I was about five years old, I ended up moving with my mom to a small town, actually outside of a small town called Mineral Wells, Texas. But really, I was in an area that only has a blinking yellow light. It's called Cool, Texas. Um, I sort of lived on the boundaries of all these worlds because I rodeoed and I showed cheap. And yet, I would drive an hour one way to go to a private school in Fort Worth. Okay, you asked for quick answers, and now you know I'm a long, wordy, verbose woman. Uh, but that's my... And I guess um, I, when I graduated high school, I went to school in Washington, D.C. Um, I went to Georgetown School, Walsh School of Foreign Service. Loved the education I got. And towards the end of that trajectory, I realized I actually was probably interested in more the non-governmental route. So I got involved with a lot of nonprofits, especially nonprofits working in Latin America, and ended up coming back to UT to be close to family, but not too close. Uh, <laughs> and during college, my— Dad passed away unexpectedly. My grandmother, who helped raise me, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and was declining quickly. My mother battled and survived colon cancer. And so it was time to be back closer, but to Mm -hmm. still be following my own path. And so brought me to UT for Latin American studies. Started working at a nonprofit here, yep. Uh, Plug for an amazing nonprofit locally, American Gateways. That's where I ended up working for a while, providing free and low-cost immigration services to immigrants, those who want to reunify with their families, immigrant victims of crime. Um, So American Gateways is a great nonprofit to support. But that helped me stay in Austin. And it was somewhere along that way. When I moved back to Texas, my husband, John, who is a, a New Yorker, said, can I go with you? And I was like, yeah, I guess, sure, whatever, let's do it. Um, and it was somewhere along that ride that apparently he was always talking about cheese. And anytime we'd get inebriated at a party, <sighs> we'd talk about cheese and we're gonna do this cheese thing. And then we go on our honeymoon and he turns to me and says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit my job and do something good cheese. And I was like, all right, go for it. I love my job. You got this. And then over the course of two years, I was actually feeling some burnout on some pretty tough cases. So more power to those folks at American Gateways who are still doing that that tough work, much needed work. Well, Anyway, we were hosting grilled cheese clubs out of our house. We were looking at how would this business work, and it all of a sudden We realized that Austin did not have a cut-to-order cheese shop, and we could be Austin's first. And we just thought we'd be cute and open this little shop and cut cheese every day and hopefully pay our bills. And more likely than not that it would probably fail, but we wanted to try. We didn't at that time have a lot of debt and have children. And instead, here we are 12 years later. So that's been the ride.
1: That's awesome. That is awesome.
0: And it's, it's really definitely I know we we're definitely gonna poke poke the bear a little bit on the entrepreneurial side and and learn a little bit more about the cheese shop too, because I know that it's been growing fast since the pandemic. So I I know you've been going through a lot of changes there. Which brings me actually to a point about kind of pandemic issues, which is mental health and something that you're super passionate about. I know you're an activist for mental health awareness and I, I myself have had a major depressive episode back in 2020 and it really rocked my world. I battled mild depressive waves throughout my life, but it was nothing really like the episode I had then. And I was really ashamed and felt isolated. I didn't tell anyone, aside from my husband. And I I understand the stigma that you talk about when you've talked about it publicly. And can you talk about what drew you to to change your experience? You know, what what did you learn from from your depression? Sure. Well,
2: first, I just want to commend you, Carrie, for you sharing that with us and sorry that you had to go through it and sorry that it was at such a hard time. In some ways, it was hard because we couldn't access care the way we were used to. And it was hard because demand got really was really high for mm-hmm. um, people. a lot of people going through different types of hard times. But Another way was that telehealth became much more available. So in that way, it's not prescriptive and doesn't work for everybody. But for those who seek therapy, at least in some ways, it became more accessible. For me, my own personal journey, I I guess I had episodic issues throughout my youth, only I didn't ever really realize it at the time. It would just kind of be like, oh, Kendall's going through one of her funks. And I was raised in a household, fortunately, that my mother believed in therapy. She had her therapist from her divorce. And so whenever Kendall's kind of going through a funk, we'll just take her back to the therapist and she'll talk through it a little bit and then get through the funk and then keep going. So I was really lucky because of that. But we really never realized that it was a trend and it was a pattern and it, it was happening every once in a while. And so it wasn't really until I got into college. And as I mentioned, those three big life altering things kind of happened wham, wham, wham. And I wondered, how do I get through this? I knew I needed therapy. I went to the school counseling sessions. That wasn't even really working. Um, So I knew things were getting worse, but I was trying to do the steps. I was trying to take care of myself. I recognized where I was and that I needed help. That being said, it wasn't enough. And one scary night, I ended up intentionally making some bad decisions, which were really harmful to myself. And I ended up in the ER of the Georgetown University Hospital. And in fact, checked into the psychiatric ward. This is all 20 years ago. I don't actually think we call it the psychiatric ward anymore, but the mental health services ward or what have you, but I was for all intents and purposes behind a locked door. Um, and was mandated to be in there two weeks and then to have outpatient therapy and then went home and really took care of myself and concentrated as if it was my job that summer on getting better. So I tell that story, one, I just have to acknowledge that there was a lot of privilege in there. I had a lot of resources available to me. I I had parents who could pay for services. I present as white and I identify as white. And I think that that opened some doors to me even while I was in the hospital. I wouldn't necessarily say that I was treated Better than other people, except to say I was the good girl and I knew how to do this. I've done this my whole life. I want to be careful to always say I don't believe you can necessarily pull yourself up by the bootstraps, especially when some people aren't even wearing shoes. I've heard that Mm -hmm. metaphor before, and I appreciate it. That being said, went home and really focused on my recovery. Which for me, I went to a therapist multiple times a week. I created a regular routine for myself. I woke up early. I went to bed early. I was exercising, and. I got a dog again. I said, I need a dog, a therapy dog. I don't think they were called therapy dogs then, but I got a dog. And then I was like, I got to get laser hair removal. I don't know why I said that. My mom supported me and like, whatever your journey is, let's just do it. So I did not prescribe laser hair removal for other people as part of their (laughs) mental health journey. It's just that (laughs) I like made a list and I checked these things off this list. And I was also on some prescribed medication now, I know, I know some of your listeners are going to hear this, and I'm going to start getting letters about how we're an over-medicated society and all these things. I agree. Medication is tough. It doesn't work for everybody. And both a therapist and medication, it's really rare that the first time you try it, it works. But whenever I said, oh, have, have you thought about therapy if that's something for you? And sometimes John and I both hear back, well, I tried it once and I didn't like it, or I didn't click with the person that's how we kind of feel about if people want to give therapy a shot is to, to try out a few different people until you find a really good fit. Um, and the same thing, it's really unfortunate with medication, but it takes a little bit to get to where you feel like this is helping you in the right space. Um, mm-hmm. So to get to the second part of your question, when and where and how did I become this activist for mental health? Um, One, as you can tell, I'm a storyteller, and I talk a lot, and I basically have no secrets. Like when I married my Mm -hmm. husband on our first date, when we went out, we went to fondue at the melting pot. So yes, our first date was over (laughs) cheese. I sat across from him, and I was like, here's everything that's ever happened to me, that any ex-boyfriend has said was wrong with me, that I think was wrong with me, but this is all part of my journey, and I'm okay with it. Are you okay with it? He was like, yeah, that sounds good. Is that all? I can work with that. So I've just always decided to be all of who I am, Um, sharp edges and all. I've seen a lot of those memes go around that say she's a lot and like, yeah, I am a lot and now embracing that. So I think therapy really helped me kind of claim all these sides to me and to not have to hide them. Mm. Why did I start talking about it? I think a couple things. One, it was part of my therapy Doing this with you now and talking about it is therapeutic to me. It reminds me of where I've been, reminds me of my goals and where I want to go. It reminds me of how I want to treat myself. So it's it's good for me ongoing. Two, as I talk about it, people either out in front of other people or in silent hallways pull me aside and they say, me too. Thank you so much for sharing that. I've got this going on. And so that has really supported me and given me fuel for continuing to talk about it. And I think it's easier for me to talk about it. And that's why I want to commend you, Carrie, because now for me, this is 20 years ago, doesn't mean that I don't still carry this weight with me or know that if I'm in a funk, oh no, is depression coming back? So I think other people coming forward gives me fuel to keep talking about it and to know that they might be in an episode right now. One of your listeners- and probably many more than one, are probably going through some pretty tough times right now. And so if I can show them that you can get through it, and there was a time that I did not think I would be here today to say that, I did not think I deserved the life that I'm currently living. In fact, every once in a while, I'm like, wait a minute. I was never supposed to live this life. I remind myself that we all can and do deserve the lives we want. So I don't know if any of that answered your question, Carrie, except to say it's kind of an accidental activist and it helps me in my own journey. And then I'm here to support people in theirs in so much as I know I can never be a therapist. I mean, heck, I talk too much. I'm not a good listener. I'm a big talker. (laughs) So I'm never going to make a good therapist. But if the way I can help change the conversation around mental health is by sharing my own story and saying, yes, this is what depression can look like then that's the way I can help other people through it too.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing that, Kendall. That's really beautiful. And Carrie was right. You are somebody who embraces vulnerability. I, I doubt that very seriously there's anybody listening who hasn't dealt with mental health, either personally or with a loved one, especially right now at what we've seen, the the surge during the pandemic. And the talking about it is so helpful, like you said. Um, did you ever do any group therapy? I was just curious.
2: Yeah, and I think you hit on, yes, the crux of, so when we talk about mental health challenges, just for listeners, we're not just talking about depression. There's anxiety, there's OCD, there's eating disorders, there's, you don't know what to label it. There's things we probably (laughs) don't even know what they are and we haven't labeled them. So just recognizing that there's a whole spectrum and a whole lot of things that we're talking about. And when you said, we've probably all dealt with mental health, I'm going to just ch- change that and say 100% of us deal with mental health because whether we're in a good mental health space or a bad mental health space, every day we have mental health, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Um yes, when the number one thing that I feel like actually helped me and jumpstarted my journey for me is I remember being in the hospital and I had to fill out this questionnaire and they said, do you have a history of mental illness? and your family? And I said, no. And my mom actually corrected them. And had come to find out that my grandfather had also been hospitalized for depression and for a bad episode. And I'm like, what? That's a big family secret? I didn't know that. And the reason that it made me feel so good is I was just, I remember being like, oh, it's not something wrong with me. I'm not alone Right. So exactly what you said is that's why, of course, you don't want to find out that other people are sick or hurting, but instead it was so freeing to me. And that was the number one thing that helped me. It's like, wait, somebody else felt this way? Mm -hmm. And somebody in my family? And then um, I remember when I flew home to Texas and my grandfather's a gardener and he's sitting there in his garden and he doesn't look up. So he's digging out weeds, still works harder laboring to this day than I do. And he goes, well, kennel, that's what he, we're Texan, kennel, that's what he calls me. (laughs) Well, kennel, I know it feels like you're in that big, dark, black hole and you can't see the sides and you can't see the top and you're clawing at it and you don't know how to get out, but you can get out. And I've been down in there. And the way he described it was exactly that. And it's what you said. It feels so lonely. And it's just like, because everybody's journey is their own and we can never truly know what's going on in somebody else's head, but the fact that we all feel that, it means there's other people in that black hole reaching out, feeling for anything they can, trying to grab a hand, trying to grab a lifeline, so you are not in that hole alone. And that was the, the most helpful thing to me. So back to group therapy. Yeah, that was part of when you're when I was in the hospital, you're in individual counseling, but you're also in group therapy. So it's these group Sessions coming together specifically so that you know you're not alone and you talk through it and work through it together. And they have all different topics and different groups meet different places, but NAMI specifically sets up that model. So, integral care here in Austin, I was on the board of Austin Child Guidance Center. They provide free and low cost mental health services to youth under the age of 18. We have Dell Children's Unit. So, there are a lot of resources that are out there for people to look into. And I think that's easier said than done. I'm got. I got to be honest here. I probably once a month, if not more, get a text that says, I'm ready. I need help now. Where do I go? And you're stuck on a waiting list, especially coming out of the pandemic. I wish I could say the hardest step is just saying, okay, I want to get help from somebody. Instead, I think it's a, a challenge with our system, that the hardest step is actually the finding care. So What I would recommend is get on as many wait lists as you can, see if your company offers anything. We at Antonelli started offering an EAP, an employee assistance program, and it comes with free counseling with therapists. I've used it myself when a friend died by suicide last year. So, and reach out to those other nonprofits and ask for sources, but keep advocating for yourself. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest parts, is it's not just raising your hand and say, I'm ready. It's then being strong enough to keep trying to advocate for yourself.
1: Yeah, that can be really hard when you're in the hole, for sure. Mm -hmm. But even just the reaching out is so important and talking to somebody, even if you can't get onto a therapist, but being able to verbalize starting that journey is, I think, really powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody has a circle of people around them to do that with, unfortunately. So yeah, um, Yeah. or the isolation is so
0: thick that you're not recognizing it as much Mm -hmm. as everybody else around you might be. To, and I think that that goes to the point about just staying connected because being connected is kind of everything. Um, connection to, is
1: huge. Yes. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: And it may, at therapy, I feel like maybe for those who work two jobs and who don't have time, and it can yeah. feel really self indulgent like, oh, that's sweet and cute of you, but I don't have time yes. to take that time for me. Yeah. I got to. Right make money, put food on the table, take care of my kids. So, and that, I do think community plays a big part in those and finding community organizations. And again, not being alone, I think is key on all that. Ladies, this is not at all what I thought we would be talking about. This is great.
1: <laughs> uh, to pull it back into the the podcast. So you clearly are somebody with an altruistic heart. You are actively seeking ways to make the world a better place. And your slogan. Do good, uh, eat good.
2: Copyrighted, trademarked.
1: <laughs> yes. Do good, eat good. I love that. What are you, in, in terms of the um, do good portion of that slogan, what are you most proud of?
2: Oh, um, I uh, Kindle's never at a loss for words. Um <sighs> Kindle, she usually doesn't refer to herself in the third person either. <laughs> um, okay, as I look around the room. I think what I'm most proud of is even when there seems like there's nothing to give, anybody can be a philanthropist. Anybody has talents or time or treasure that they can give. And so what I mean by that is when we first started Antonelli's Cheese, we wrote in our business plan, we want to be – a part of the community that gives back. We will only exist for as much as the community walks through our doors, spends their hard-earned dollar with us. How do we make sure we're giving back? That's easier said than done when you're basically a non-profitable business, which any given year kind of feels like we're a non-profitable business. We're always growing. Whether or not there's profit at the end of the day, you know, is... is up to be challenged, depending on the year. So John and I sat down and we're like, how do we consciously do this when we first started? uh, We don't have money to give. And we were working our tushies off. And so Mm -hmm. we really didn't have our time to give. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we really sat down and we created, as our following grew, we said, well, wait, we may not have a lot of money, but we have a pretty big reach. Uh, We have over 70,000 followers across these different platforms. What if we can just get small percentage of those people who follow us to follow these nonprofits. And so we created what we called our charitable cheese cause and we shine the light on a local nonprofit once a month and what they do and we pass the mic a little bit to them and we donate a portion of revenue to them but honestly that that doesn't end up being the the big thing for them. It's really that they have access to all of our followers. Um, another way You know, when Harvey hit, we got our heads together and we said, okay, we could do a portion of sales one day. That always also feels kind of weird because it feels like you're saying, come buy for me and then I'll give this money. Um, And we don't want our intentions to be maligned. And instead, our team came up with this really creative, what if we sell off a -a one-of-a-kind auction? So we sold spots to come be a part of our buyer's club. Our buyer's club is where we all sit in a circle and we taste all the products we've been sent that week and we decide are we going to carry this in the shop? Are we not? If we carry it, do we have to get rid of something else? Does this meet our standards? How is it made? But anyway, it's a fun time where we eat 20 products are in front of us and we eat them. So we sold tickets to come be a part of that. We sold come cheesemonger behind the case with us for a day, which also comes with eating all that you want. So anyway, it was <laughs> these things, which as a business cost us nothing. And we made over $10,000 doing that for Harvey Relief, which was mm. pretty incredible for this small wow. little struggling business. So I think that what I've learned is there are always ways to give back. And so there have been some periods where I'm like, I have got to re-engage. I have got to do more. And honestly, that can be exhausting. If anybody is hearing that, Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't have more to give. I don't have more resources. I don't, I just, I'm tired. But then I remember, you know what? Just finding this new nonprofit and giving them $5 a month and sharing their posts for free, that is supportive. That is being a philanthropist. And so to go back to what am I most proud of, I think it's that we have always found a way to give back to the community that supports us. Sometimes we have to get really creative. Sometimes I have to have an honest conversation with myself and say, wait a minute, I said I can't do more. Can I really not do more? Or is this not a priority for me? And so it's having these real conversations with myself and sometimes stepping up to the plate in ways that I hadn't expected when I needed to. Also, there's a whole different segment there on knowing when to say no. Mm -hmm. But I will just say, anybody out there can be a philanthropist. Let's (laughs) spread the love and the, the wealth. But I now know that anybody can affect change in their communities. And, and for other people, it might be just showing up with their talents. And they have—they can't even give that $5 a month. But they have something important to say. And the rest of us can learn from it. Um, and that's being a philanthropist in your community, too. Wow. I love
1: that. You I are that. a force, my friend. <laughs> I told you. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love all of your allotness. That's great. I
0: think that the thing that strikes me the most about you, Kendall, it's that you take the all of you that you were talking about and you apply it to all that you do. And I think that that is somewhat rare. And I think that that's why there's a gravitational pull in the way that you're executing in all facets of your work, your your philanthropic efforts, your family time. I just wanted to to share that. I was going to bridge that actually into, veer a little bit into some of the things that we talk about a lot with our guests regarding the city and the growth of the city and how things have, have shifted and evolved and how you're seeing that being encompassed. Growth can bring opportunities and it can also bring problems. We all know that. But I think as a local and as a business owner, I, we would love your perspective on where you see those positives and negatives.
1: Sure.
2: So
0: this is what I thought we were going to talk about. And I know
2: small business in Austin. So I will say my undergrad from the School of Foreign Service was in culture and politics, but that was specifically anthropology. And so I can say that culture is never static and it is always changing. So for the opinion of Austin was once this way and this is bad and it's now changing, there was never a something was this way, one time, in time, ever, anywhere in the world. Culture is always changing. It's not that we're all of a sudden losing. We're always becoming something of who we are, who our business is, who our city is. And so I think then to your point, it's how do we not lose some of these things that are important to us? I think what you will most often find the heart of a city is in its small business owners and in its local nonprofits, which I think is why I'm so passionate about both of them. So for me, I'm coming, I think it's always important for all of us as guests and speakers to recognize the lens and lived experience from which we're coming. So I'm coming to you from a local business owner here in Austin. It scares me when I see another small shop or a restaurant announce it's closing. We all do that thing on Facebook where we're like, oh no, if we'd only known, we'd have shown up. But the, the reality is, you know, it, it happens. Um Those are scary. Those hit me in the gut every single time. Mm. I think I should have, could have, would have eaten a lot more ice cream at that place. So I think we have to find a way to make sure that we don't lose all of the local businesses in Austin. Uh, Locally owned, independently owned, small businesses, those aren't all mutually exclusive. There's gray area there. One thing to, to know about, and I will toot their horn, is AIBA, the Austin Independent Business Alliance. They're really working to preserve and support these independent, locally owned businesses. That doesn't mean I think bigger tech companies moving in is a bad thing. In fact, I think it's an opportunity with more money in the city means, hey, I'm going to come knock on your door. And I think you also have the responsibility to make where you're working better. And so I think there's some great opportunity there. Do I hope that we can set up some lanes? And I don't know what that looks like. But where out of every new building that's made on South Congress, that a certain percentage is only leased out and maybe rent controlled for a locally owned business. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that would be helpful because we cannot compete. Um, I can't wrestle with Applebee's, (laughs) if you Mm -hmm. will. If Applebee's wants to open a cheese shop across the nation, I don't know why I'm picking on Applebee's. Applebee's (laughs) are fine. I don't know anything about Applebee's. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. SoCo, it does scare me. On one hand, it's fun to walk on SoCo. And on the other hand, the last time I did at South Congress, I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many chains here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we keep SoCo funky and fun and keep Austin weird? And to me, that's not going backwards. It's going forward. There's always new entrepreneurs, new opportunities. So while it's sad when some of us close up, and my time will come, Antonelli's Tea Shop, that time will come someday. That is the nature of business. We have a life cycle. And when one business closes, another one opens. My hope and goal for Austin is that we can make sure to support smaller businesses or, or independently or locally owned businesses being some of the ones who continue to open. And so looking creatively at ways to do that. For listeners out there, what what is your you know, what can you do? You hear, oh, shop local all the time. And I've before done like a, I'm going to try to do a no Amazon month challenge, which by the way, I cannot (laughs) remember life before something arrived on my doorstep, especially for like diapers and things like that. So I am grateful for certain conveniences it has brought to my life. There have even been times when I've done a buy everything local challenge. I'm like, I don't even know where you buy this thing anymore. Like, Mm. do these shops exist to sell this one type of thing I need? So it, it, You know, we hear that rhetoric a lot. What I would challenge you people to do is to consciously spend their dollars. So if we can consciously spend them, and every time I buy a book, I have to tell myself, okay, it's worth it to buy a little bit more expensive and go to one of our locally owned bookstores than get it cheaper off Amazon. One, because I have heard and know how much businesses lose off of selling on that platform. And two, because I know that I want to be a part of supporting my community, which means paying this person a living wage and keeping people here in Austin. So I'll just say, how do we preserve some of our culture? It's really the lifeblood is in independent businesses, especially the restaurant scene, when our government and our city failed us and everybody lost power and the winter storm of last year, mm-hmm. it was restaurants who rallied to the scene. And I'm proud of them. It's the hospitality industry that rallies to support a community. When you go to somebody for your kid's bake sale or kid's school fundraiser, or to put that little banner on their football field or whatever, it is not the big companies who are putting their paying to sponsor and put their flags there. It is the locally owned often restaurants who live on the hardest margins, who are the hardest hit during this pandemic, who really have a broken system of not paying our our people fairly as it is, they're the ones who need our support. So yes, that matters. Okay, soapbox. Sorry, step off of that one. (laughs) Another one to mention is just looking to your local nonprofits. Um, They arise to meet a need and a challenge in the community. I specifically always love looking at A a local nonprofit called I Live Here, I Give Here, because you can search their site for all the other nonprofits. So it's a great way, supporting both those businesses, but also locally operated nonprofits is a great way to preserve some culture and what makes that area unique, even if those are changing and turning over. But when my business dies, I hope that that space will be a new business for another locally
0: owned Keep Austin Weird business. Really good advice. I love how I give your platform is awesome too for anybody that wants to get involved, especially for the newcomers out there who just moved to
1: Austin. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so I'm ready to like vote you in for president. <laughs> so so Kendall, what are your kids? Like I saw your core principles. Can they recite them? And then also, <laughs> uh, do they have like the most refined cheese palette ever? Like, can they, like, taste cheese, blind taste them and go, that is Spain. That's cow's and milk
0: it's, from Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: like, I'm curious how I this translates like- into your family life, you know?
2: If you, okay, honest, because we got to be honest with yeah, each other. Yeah, peel back
1: if you, the curtain. If
2: you sit them down right now and say, what are your core values? They're going to be like, what? They're going to have no <laughs> idea. But yeah. there was a time at the beginning of the pandemic when we were, John and I were teaching a virtual cheese tasting class, which we still offer today. And we were teaching one every single night and they would sit in the other room and for an hour every night, they would hear us go through it. And at that time, I bet you they could have recited it verbatim. Both of them love cheese. They love little bloomy-rinded goat's milk cheeses, and they love stinky washtrain cheeses. But I just got to put it out there before everybody thinks I have bougie kids that my kids like good cheese. My daughter also came home from a friend's playdate and she's like, "Mom, there's this cheese. We got to get in the shop. It's this little ball that's covered in red wax." And <laughs> so it was baby Swiss baby. <laughs> bell. baby bell. And guess what? John and I like it too. So <laughs> while our goal at our cheese shop is to represent. Smaller artisanal producers who don't necessarily have representation at big box stores. That's our mission and our purpose. We eat all the cheeses. We are not cheese snobs. I literally have a hunk of Velveeta in my closet right now. I just don't call it cheese anymore. Just, you know. But, um, so, and they like sushi just as much as they like a hot dog. So,
1: It is fun though.
2: I, I, we have always encouraged them to be adventurous eaters and that I think is helpful because I think food is a love language and it is a unifying factor. And my goal is that if, and whenever my kids go anywhere, when they are welcome at somebody's table, that they will eat whatever they are served and they will eat it gratefully. And so that is part of my goal is that they will be adventurous eaters and grateful for the, the love that went into making whatever was put in front of them.
0: Well, we um, were getting close to the end and I thought we'd wrap up the way we do with all of our guests, which is to go through a lightning round of questions about your favorite local experiences. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, but I'm really bad at giving one word answers, but I'm gonna try. Okay, I got (laughs) it. Okay. (laughs) Obviously, we know family's priority for you. Where's your favorite local family excursion?
2: We got into a regular team at Walnut Creek. So I'm gonna give a shout out to hiking Walnut Creek. I also... I'm super loving the new Waterloo Park by Waterloo Greenway downtown. Mm-hmm. And they're hosting pop-up movies. We we did their pop-up picnic. There's concerts there. And then the other one I just wanted to give a shout out to is Honeysuckle Ranch at Bee Tree Farm. They're in Maynard. And Jenna Kelly-Lanis just built this new barn there. But she does events like come on a date walk with the goats and do things like that. And so I have one of my key factors is being in nature when I need it. So um, those are my Same, kind of favorite yeah. things to do. And outdoor experiences with the
0: kids. Have you been with at to Honeysuckle, Ann? I've never done No, do, I've never, I've never that. heard
1: of it. I'm so excited. I just wrote all this yeah. down. Yeah. Then and I you're know. the this second is... person who's told us Walnut Creek. And uh uh-huh. I have actually haven't been to Walnut Creek either.
2: And there's when you go, one time I went and I was like, this is it. Well, there's all these different paths back in there, and there's bikers, and there's so mm-hmm. just know that it's more than probably what you're gonna discover at first.
0: No, it's so wow. much fun. I, we haven't been back there in a while. We went during the pandemic, and it's awesome. They've got great trails. Favorite restaurant?
2: Oh, my God. You did not tell me you're going to ask that. Okay,
0: that's like asking a favorite cheese. I can't I tell know you. Okay. I know, I know. Um, and I figured um, you wouldn't have one answer, but.
2: Okay, I haven't gotten to go back recently, so I'm going to sound like a fake. But I went right when it opened, and I loved it. Everything. I loved Kanji. So Chef Tavelle, every like every dish and even from Kevin Fink and the Immer and Rye group, it's always the dishes I wouldn't think to order, like they're something broth that like blows my mind. And so go try everything from that group. I also always love Lenoir. I love their outdoor mm, patio mm. and Me I just too. feel good being there. So those are two, like Kanje, Lenoir, Emmer and Rye. Um, I love some messy Tex-Mex for the record. Uh, so, meaning not your <laughs> A-list places, so I'm not going to name them. I just like some dirty Tex-Mex.
0: Um, <laughs> well, the, actually, the, the Tex-Mex brings us to the, the next lightning round question, which is your favorite breakfast taco.
2: We're two blocks away from Taco Deli. It's like one of the only breakfast tacos that I can Mm. eat and not feel sick after. Like for some reason, I feel like I'm healthy afterwards, which I know is ridiculous, but I'm like, ooh, I'm on a diet. (laughs) I just ate Taco Deli. So I love tricking myself into that. And then I also really love Amaya's breakfast tacos, which when I was at American Gateways, Mm. we used to always get Amaya's uh, along Mm I-35. But they're just like all nasty and delicious. Like cheesy.
0: Mm. Mm. That sounds delicious.
1: Which taco do you get at Taco Deli?
2: Uh, We get the auto
1: add eggs.
2: So it's Mm. beans, avocado, bacon, and I add egg to it.
0: That's a good choice. Mm.
2: Best hidden gem. Ooh, best hidden gem. It's in Jerping Springs, but Abby Jane Bakehouse. She's awesome by Abby Love and That's on Fitzhugh, and right along there is also Ray Wilson's Wine for the People. So it's supporting two women-owned companies, our local terroir, Taste of Texas, and local food and winemakers. So I love them as like a best-kept secret that shouldn't be kept secret. Mm
1: -mm -mm. So go
2: support them. And the last is advice for newcomers. Welcome. (laughs) I'm just going to say welcome. I am of the... Mindset more the merrier. We have some major infrastructure problems to solve, but that has been the case for the last however many years I've ever known about Austin. I believe there's always more room at the table. I believe that we can stretch a dish as far as it needs to go. And I believe that probably every person who moves here, every single person, you know, they make that joke. I know. I'm sorry. I'm one of the problems. Why should anybody ever have to move to a new place with a new beginning and apologize for it? So new people moving here means new opportunities. Let's show yeah. some Texas hospitality and not Absolutely. become, I mean, the worst yes. case is we become Austin snobs. I don't, who wants that? I don't want to right. ever be Nobody yet. wants that. Yeah. Right. So Welcome. Yeah. I love it. And support local.
1: (laughs) And support local. Yeah, totally. Kendall, thank you so much for being with us today, taking the time. You are a breath of fresh air. It was really great to hear what's going on inside your head. You can bring your allotness to our podcast anytime. Oh, thanks, ladies. (laughs) And for our listeners, if you want to sample cheeses or book Antonelli's for your next board meeting, go to Antonelli'sCheese.com. And, Kindle, you're available to host or speak at various events as well. And Find out information from your website, right?
2: Yeah. And I would say if people haven't been into the shop, go in and go hungry. You can't sit anywhere. But our whole goal is that for free, you get to taste anything you want in the case. And then, yeah, we ship cheese boxes. We do corporate events and tastings. You can book our cheese house for events or we'll come to you. And John and I are still doing a lot of virtual events and we'll ship the cheese And yeah, I'll come talk to any group uh, and it doesn't have to have any cheese if you don't want it. So I'm always open to talk about entrepreneurship, life and work balance, mental health. And in fact, it's always some sort of big pot of all of that
0: because I can't separate out one part of me from the other.
1: Well, you're a compelling speaker for sure. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. You've been really
0: gracious with your time, Kendall. Thank you so much for doing this today and being with us and- Thank you. Good luck editing. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. All right.
0: All right, Kendall. Thanks.
1: We'll talk to you soon. I mean, what an amazing person. Wow. Isn't she? Yeah. Good. And (sighs) she... incredible yeah yeah
0: the best word i can describe for her is dynamic and i mean that like in all ways a dynamic dynamic authenticity you know
1: you don't often see somebody just so no holds barred like yeah able to just empty the contents of their head and it's not a total mess yeah you know? Yeah, she's you w- not
0: afraid to just speak right. speak exactly what's in her mind, and to correct herself mid sentence and keep moving forward with what she's saying. Yeah. She's she had some good recommendations too for local places that I hadn't that I hadn't heard of. Besides the honeysuckle, oh Ranch yeah, and, the two
1: places in Dripping Springs, yeah, yes, exactly, I, I, I hadn't heard of that either, and. um I haven't been to Kanji yet. Have you been there? No, I tried to get
0: reservations and they were booked. Yeah. There was a lot of really good nuggets. I think for anybody that's been in Austin their whole life, or even somebody that literally just moved here yesterday, could know where to go and what to do in their personal, professional, philanthropic part of their lives. She was our North Star for this podcast session. And like, Mm she delivered on our mission of helping people understand their backyard, which is what I think is awesome about her as a guest. So
1: yeah, absolutely. I'm
0: glad glad we had her on. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find Under the Moon Tower episodes at underthemoontower.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Instagram at Under the Moon Tower or shoot us an email with any questions or feedback at underthemoontower at gmail.com. And special thanks to Brandon Burke for production on our podcast.
0: See you next time.